Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor John Sherrill. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. Boy, you guys are awesome. One, all right. Well, this morning, I want to I ask you for two quick things. Um, if you're new to us this morning, I would, I would love for you to go to declaration.info. There's a place where you can fill out a really quick connection card to where I can reach out and say hello to you this week through email. It's just asking your name and your email address, I think. But I'd love to say hello. Secondly, this morning, if you want to give, if you want to worship through giving, we invite you to do that. Man, we have been able to see God do so many incredible things because when we realize that it's really all God's and not ours, and we allow him to use it. He does incredible things. I'll tell you more about that in just a few minutes of all the things that we've gotten to be a part of together just through our generosity. But I, can I say this, church, real quick? Your heart and your humility have been so overwhelming in the last few weeks. And I want to thank you for that. I hope that we never lose that. More than even generosity through your giving, your heart and your humility has been overwhelmingly amazing. And so thank you. I've already told people, so every time I, people ask me, tell me about the church, tell me about how's it going, I always talk about your graciousness to allow me to say really dumb things sometime and still hang out with us. That's fun. But also your generosity. But I'll tell you what, your heart and your humility the last few weeks combined with your gener- generosity, I can't tell you how many times we would throw something on Facebook and say something like, we need a broom or we need a shovel. And like 10 minutes later, it's like they were driving up. And that was a lot, of, by and large, that was a lot of you guys just steadily being ready to meet the need as soon as it was there. And I cannot thank you enough for that. And I know that there's so many families, they may never know who that was. They may never know what church, those crazy peoples that came in in the red shirts, they may not know. And that's okay. We don't do that for their applause, right? We do that because that's what the Lord has told us to do. But I do wanna just stop and acknowledge you and say thank you so much for that. That's just one way that our generosity is making a big impact. And so I, I never talk about, I don't want to talk about percentage in, in, in how you give of your, of your finance. I do want to invite you to participation because all of us, we, one person can't do everything, but everybody can do something. And when we pull all those resources together, a small church can have a really big impact. Well, it started with water, water rescues, and um, I honestly do not know how we landed in all of that, but I'm so thankful that we got the privilege to be a part of that together. And, um, you know, last, the, the ver- first service, we had a, a group here. Um, it's a, a, a partnering ministry that ended up kind of aligning with us called the Forgotten People. And um, they brought about 60-plus students for Christ, or from Christ for the Nation Institute from Dallas here. And um, we had already kind of helped as many homes as we could that had, had asked for help in our immediate area. And so they came in. They said, we want to help 100 homes in 10 days. And we knew that the need in Kingwood was so great. So we said, okay, we'll go and partner with Pastor Mark over there in Journey Church. He's a, he's a friend and part of our network. And go help Kingwood because we know the, great is, you know the need was so great there. They did 99 homes in seven days, and they're doing their last one today. And so that's really cool. It's cool to be a part of that. I do want to tell you that this Saturday at 5 o'clock at Rob Fleming Park, um, that group, the Forgotten People, and some of the students from Christ for the Nations and some other um, partners are getting together. There's going to be a benefit night of worship just to come and enjoy, and, and I'm sure that there, there's going to be a love offering taking up to continue to help the relief efforts. And so if you'd want to be a part of that, Rob Fleming Park at Creekside in, in uh, the Woodlands, 5 o'clock, I would love to invite you to be a part of that. I'm going to be out there supporting them and would love to see as many of you from Declaration. Well, let's dive right in. Um, 
Just two weeks ago on August 20th, it was a fun day. We were celebrating a little bit. Um, we had seen God just grow, you know, keep, continue to grow declaration. The kids' wing was packed. The parking lot was packed. And this room, we could have, probably could have put a few more people in here. But at the end of the day, the kids' wing really needed some relief. And the parking lot needed some relief. So we were excited. We launched it on the second service. And little did we know, five days later, we were going to be impacted by such a huge storm, you know. And so two weeks go by after this massive storm interrupts our lives and, and, and brings us into this, this new aftermath that demanded our attention. Um, just some of the statistics. Trillions of gallons of water dumped all over South Texas and Louisiana. Trillions. In fact, I read a stat. I said it last week. 27 trillion gallons of water through Harvey versus 6.4 gallons through Katrina. That gives you just a little bit of context. 1,777 square miles in Harris County alone, of which 74 square miles usually have water in them. Of the 1,777 square miles in only Harris County, over 70% of that landmass had at least a foot to a foot and a half of water and far more covering it. Just some context. 63 confirmed deaths through this storm, through this flood. Projection of damages to exceed over $180 billion. This was a massive disaster. Already being noted, it is one of the worst natural disasters ever recorded in the history of our nation. But even in great suffering, I want you to hear this. Even in great suffering, God is up to something greater. Even in great suffering, God is up to something greater. Romans 8, 28 tells us, For all things God works together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. One thing I truly believe after the last few weeks of walking through this and living through this is that where a storm tries to devastate, God can and will activate. He does. It's exactly what happened. Um, I love our mother church, Woods Edge Community Church, and Pastor Jeff Wells. He sent a, a PDF document to me and a few other pastors that we're, we're constantly in, in communication and relationship with. And this PDF was just five points that I felt were so great. In fact, I think it's some of the very things that he might have preached last week as Woods Edge met. And so I wanted to bring some of these things to light for you this morning. Number one, Pastor Jeff said this, God is still on his throne. God is still on his throne. It brought me immediately to Colossians 1:17. Colossians 1.17 says that he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He holds all things together. Pastor Jeff uh, used Psalm 29, verse 10, to really point out the fact that God is still on his throne. Because Psalm 29.10 says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. And there's an illustration that he gave that I thought was really profound. And this is it. He says, a mature hurricane is by far the most powerful event on earth. The combined nuclear arsenals of the United States and the former Soviet Union do not contain enough energy to keep a hurricane going for one whole day. Think about that. A typical hurricane encompasses a million cubic miles of atmosphere and could provide all of the electric power needed for the United States to have power for three to four years. And the power of a hurricane, yet still, as powerful as it is, it's nothing in comparison to God's power. Consider this. One hurricane, one of many that might happen each and every year, one hurricane on one small speck of one planet, in one solar system, in one galaxy, 
one of a hundred billion galaxies that when God spoke a word, they were formed. The power of this hurricane cannot compare to the power of God Almighty. It can't. So the good news today is this. No matter what the storm may have done, no matter what the storm in your life might be, God is still on his throne. Number two, Pastor Jeff said, the world is broken. Two weeks ago when we stepped out into the series on home, we really spent some time in Genesis 3 because we needed to establish that we were born into a broken world. Genesis 3, 7, basically it tells us that this is the moment when all of humanity is broken and in need of a savior. Everything was broken because of the disobedience of humanity, because of the lack of gratitude for God's glory, the lack of gratitude for God's provision, and the lack of gratitude for God's purpose and mankind's rebellion. I love one sentence that I saw in Pastor Jeff's message, and it said this, we are not in Eden anymore. But we're also not in heaven yet. We live and we exist in a broken world. And according to John 16, we can expect hurt. We can expect hardship. We can expect trial. We can expect temptation. We can expect pain and suffering and circumstance and death and disaster. These are things that we can expect to happen. We are a post-Genesis 3 society. We're not in Eden anymore, but we're not in heaven yet. But the good news is this, church, and listen. The good news is it is finished. Jesus paid it all. He's our cornerstone. He's our assured hope. He purchased our eternity, and all we have to do is trust in him. You know, we may hurt today, and we may hurt tomorrow, but we have hope for our forever in Jesus. For those who know and trust Jesus, a friend of mine once said, for those who know and trust Jesus, this world is the only hell that we will ever know. But for those who do not know and trust Jesus, this world is the only heaven they will ever know. And who wants that? Think about it. I mean, who wants suffering to be their heaven? Who wants this devastation as their heaven? The third thing Pastor Jeff said is this. God will be faithful to us every step of the way. If you remember, we had a guest speaker a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tolian Chivijan. And he so eloquently outlined Romans chapter 8 when he said it begins by saying there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends Romans chapter 8 by saying, and nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. Nothing will ever separate you from him. He is always working all things together for his glory and for our good. Even what the enemy means for evil, God turns it for our good. Last week was an amazing moment standing outside of that donated warehouse full of supplies that we were able to send out to people who were in deep need. And, and reading the lyrics to a song that has become so much more profound for me now than it ever has been, a song called Sovereign Over Us. And it says, his plans are still to prosper. He has not forgotten us. He's with us through the fire and the flood. He's faithful forever, perfect in love. He is sovereign over us. Our God is still on his throne and he will be faithful to us every step of the way. The fourth thing Pastor Jeff said was this, because God is faithful, we can trust him. That immediately made me think of Proverbs 3 um, verses 5 and 6. As a kid, it was one of my favorite memory passages. Trust in the Lord with all of your what? Heart. Lean not on your own what? Understanding and he will make your path what? Straight. He will guide you when you trust him with all of your heart, with not just the seed of your emotions, but with the core of who you are. When you completely yield all and submit all of your trust to him and to him alone. 
He will guide you. He is faithful every step of the way. and You can trust him. The fifth thing Pastor Jeff said, and this is where I want to spend a little bit of time, is this. Any disaster is a gospel opportunity. Any disaster is a gospel opportunity. Where many might see rising water and flood, we can have a different perspective and we can see wine. Do you remember that story when Jesus turned water into wine? Do you remember the context of it? It's a wedding. Culturally speaking, you do not run out of wine at a wedding back then, right? You don't do it. It's like a no-no. And, and, and even so, culturally, this would happen. As the party went on through the night, the wine got weaker and weaker and weaker. I mean, they went from port to something like Mad Dog 2020 by the end. You know what I'm talking about? And with that laugh, I know your high school days, all right? I mean, yeah, and so, but this is not what Jesus did. He took dirty water and turned it into amazing wine to the point where the people at the party were like, who is this that would hold out to the end to bring out the best stuff? See, when people saw the rising water, the people of God can actually look at that and see wine. When, when many people saw um, the mess, the people of God can look at and, and begin to look for the miracle. Think about it. We said this last week. Where many people see a flood of loss, the people of God would step up and say, no, 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 no. I see a flood of love here. There's something that can be done. Where many only saw the devastation. As believers, we make a declaration of the greatness and the goodness of God. And as a follower and a lover of Jesus, we must allow this trial and this test to become a testimony of the greatness and the goodness of God. And as I said earlier, I struggled this week just, okay, well, what is our tone? Do we have flood fatigue? Are we weary? Are we tired of talking about it? Do we want to move on? Do we want to, do we want to try to find normal? Where are we? And you know what? Some of us are. Some of us, we, did, we weren't impacted deeply. I was talking to one of our dear families back here earlier, and I was saying, you know, we were impacted, but I kind of have survivor's guilt in a way. Because there's so many right here in our area that were deeply impacted. There are people in Timberlakes, Timber Ridge right now, elderly people who have lived in their home for over 40 years. They're not on social media. Some of them didn't even know a storm was coming. And now they're, very, they're faced with the very real reality that their house will be condemned. And so, you know, while I want us to be encouraged this morning, and while I want to make bold declarations of the greatness and the goodness of God, I also don't want to dismiss someone's disaster. I don't want to do that. I want you to hear this. I believe that Jesus understands our hurt. I believe that Jesus understands our lost and our lamenting. I believe that Jesus understands our heartbreak. You know, last week as we were having to do a really brief service because it was really hot outside, you know? <laughs> I mean, trying to get me to, to preach in 15 minutes, that's like supernatural act of God. <laughs> Someone should have like, you know, I don't know. I should have gotten a high five or something last week. <laughs> Everybody was like, too hot, Pastor, I gotta go. Um, but we spent some time in Mark 8. And we quickly looked at this miracle of the provision of Jesus. Today I wanna look at the same story, but from a different text coming out of Matthew 14. We're gonna start in verse 13 through 21. I'm gonna read it down for you. We'll have it on the screen. And then we're gonna break it apart just a little bit, all right? And then I know football's happening. Everybody calm down. I'm gonna get you there. I'm gonna try real hard, all right? So here we go, starting in, in Matthew 14, 13. It says this. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place to be alone. And when the crowds heard this, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. 
When evening came, the disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted. It's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy food for themselves. They don't need to go away, Jesus told them. You give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, the disciples said to Jesus. Jesus says, Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate, and Scripture says, and everyone was satisfied. They even picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now, those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let's pray together, okay? Father, would you speak to us this morning? Father, show us what it is that you want us to see. Let us hear the things that you desire for us to hear today. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So it starts out kind of interesting because it starts out with this statement of five words. When Jesus heard about it, what does that mean? What did he hear about? He had just heard that Herod had had John the Baptist beheaded. He had just heard that his friend had been murdered. And so this is the story of suffering that Jesus had just been brought. The news just got to Jesus about this. So this is one reason why, you know, I think of this moment. I think of the the death of Lazarus and how Jesus weeps. And I think of these different moments. And we see the humanity of God in flesh right here. We see the hurt. We see that I just just, got to kind of get by myself. I got to process this. I've got to figure this out. We see that Jesus even suffered emotion as well. I I have to believe that Jesus hurt like we do. I have to. I have to know that he felt loss like we do. I have to know that he even might have understood a certain level of angst when it came to relationship and when it came to heartbreak. I have to know that. And so when he hears about it, it says, he withdrew from there by boat to a remote place And scripture says to be alone. Has anyone ever felt that way? Have you ever gone through something so hard that all you want to do is just get by yourself and be alone? And that's exactly where Jesus is. He just wanted to retreat and be alone. He just wanted to get by himself. And so that's kind of where we start in this passage of Matthew 14. You know, I I even believe this, just kind of side note. Over the last few weeks, I bet a lot of us have been there. I bet a lot of us have just kind of been in that place where you're trying to process what you're seeing. You're having a hard time reconciling it, and, and you just wanted to be alone. And here's the truth of the matter. Today, right now, starting last night and going into the next few days, there's a lot of friends and family that we know. There's a lot of network partner churches that we know. There's hundreds and thousands of people, if not millions, that we know who are going to be feeling the very same emotions right there on the East Coast, from Puerto Rico to the Caribbean to Haiti, Dominican Republic, up to Florida and Georgia and on up. And they're going to feel this exact same way. They just want to make it stop. Do you remember looking at the news and watching that thing just kind of dance over Texas? And you're like, would you just go away? You're the guest no one invited to the party. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're the crazy aunt that won't leave after Christmas and everyone's gone, right? Just go away. Somebody's like, oh, that's terrible. Um, But I'm sure that that's exactly the way some of us have felt as we continue to walk through the wreckage of what used to be something that we could always count on being the place of serenity, the place of safety. I just need to to process this. I just want to be by myself. I just want to think. Or I don't want to think, possibly. 
So when the crowds heard it, they followed Jesus on foot. I mean, Jesus got on a boat. He starts taking off across this body of water. The crowds go around this big body of water, and they're going to follow. They want to be where he is. So they, they all from the towns, they gather, and they go around on foot to follow where he's going. I mean, they were pretty dedicated at this point. You got you to know. And you got to wonder, too, they were dedicated, but I wonder if Jesus was frustrated in this moment. I mean, I would have been. All I want to do is be by myself with my thoughts. I just want to try to figure out my next steps. I, I want to I, I deal with the loss of my friend or whatever it is that, that Jesus was thinking in this very moment, and these people are chasing after him. I mean, I wonder if Jesus was like, I just need to be by myself, and, and you people are relentless. You're chasing me. I'm wondering what my reaction would be. What would it have been? I mean, wondering if I can and, and would have done something even differently. Verse 14 says, when he went ashore, when Jesus got ashore, um, a large crowd, Scripture says, a large crowd had gathered and Jesus had compassion on them and immediately he began to heal their sick. Immediately. No matter what happened, no matter the personal cost Jesus had paid, no matter his personal feelings, no matter the moment of him just needing time by himself, he never failed to not have compassion. He always considered others more than he insisted upon his own convenience or comfort. He sees the crowd, immediately he's overwhelmed with compassion, and he moves to action. He stands and begins to touch and heal people. That was his reaction. That was his reaction. It was the gospel message in action. And this is exactly why I say the storm may devastate, but God came to activate. Jesus doesn't immediately gather them up and say, okay, everyone, let's have a prayer service. I'm going to pass out a gospel track message for you. I need you to read it, and we're going to pray. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't get everyone together and form a council and try to figure out, okay, what are we going to do next? <laughs> he just immediately had compassion and started healing people. That was his instinct. That was what he did. It's the gospel in action. He healed them. He stepped up. Verse 15, when evening came, assuming that Jesus had been with these people ministering to their needs for quite some time this day, disciples approach him and they say, hey, Jesus, so uh, it's getting a little late. I mean, you know, you've been dishing out healing like it's, you know, McNuggets here. So uh, people might start getting hungry. You might, we need to think about this. Maybe we should send them on their way. They can go into the villages. I'm sure there's probably a Whataburger there. It's 24 hours and it's holy. It's just like Christian chicken, Chick-fil-A, and then Whataburger right there in that level of holiness. And um, I'm sure they can go get some food there. We probably want to send them. There's a lot of people here, Jesus, and uh, they need to go. That's what's happening right here. I mean, it's late. They need to go. They can take care of themselves. You know, this made me stop and think. And I joke about Whataburger, but I was really bitter last week when they were closed. Because I was like, you did not have water, Waterburger. <laughs> Irony, water, Waterburger. Okay, um, but I, I do, I wonder, listen. You know, the wondering world is waiting for the gospel. They're waiting to see the gospel in action. I, think about these people. If they could take care of themselves, they wouldn't have needed Jesus. The wondering world is waiting to see the gospel authenticated and activated. How many times do we find ourselves like these disciples to say, well, let's just send them away. 
Or, or better, I was sitting in a meeting of some guys the other day, and, and in the meeting we were talking about, okay, well, what can we do together corporately? How, how can we attack this and do that and da 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 et cetera, et cetera. And, and somebody, after about 15 minutes of just this vision talk, somebody says, well, you know, here's the truth. There's really people out there that are far more qualified than us. They know what they're doing. They've got a structure in play. There's the government. I mean, there's just people that maybe we just need to wait on and lean on them to do this. And I'm just sitting there like, no, 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 no. No, that is not what Jesus did. He, he got on the shore. He saw the crowd. He's full of compassion, and immediately he, he activates. He authenticates his message right then and there by touching people and healing them, touching them in their point of need and healing them. He didn't wait on the government. He didn't wait on somebody to come along that might have a system, good or bad. He didn't wait on the Red Cross. He got after it. He went after it right then and there. And I'm sure it would have been far easier and more convenient for everyone had that crowd just gone ahead and gone home. But what if their home wasn't an option anymore? Or what if the home that they had created for themselves wasn't going to do it? It wasn't going to fulfill them. It wasn't going to satisfy them. It was not going to meet their need. The disciples say, you know, um, they say, just send them away. But Jesus in 16 says, they don't need to go away. He says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You do it. You take care of their need. I mean, this is our mandate. This is our mandate in the gospel. But it's, it's more than just our mandate. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that we get to be a part of the work that Jesus does. And check out the excuse of verse 17. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they say. But we only have. How many times have we found ourselves in a situation where we say, but we only have, we can't, I mean, here's, the, here's what I want you to see. The provision of God begins when our excuses end. The pro- Let me say that again. That's gooder. The provision of God begins when our excuses end. I mean, take the excuse out of the equation. Be obedient to what Jesus says and watch him provide. Watch him work. Jesus says, okay, bring that stuff to me. Bring it to me. I can't tell you how many times over the past two weeks this happened. I'm going to give you one story, and it's pretty crazy, but I love it. It's one of my favorites. Other than just uh, two stories, because, you know, pastors sometimes say one, it's two. So I'll just admit it. Two quick stories. One, how many times we post on social media, we need water, or we need cleaning supplies, or we need brooms. And literally five minutes would go by, and all of a sudden water shows up, cleaning supplies, brooms. It's right there. One of my favorite stories, though, was this. A pastor from, from in inner city Houston, one of our friends and part of our network calls one day and he says, John, is there any way you can feed our team? We've got 150 people down here. They've been working like crazy and they're starving. And I'm sitting there going, okay, well, man, I'm in spring and you're in inner city Houston and it's like 11 something. Uh. So I call the warehouse downstairs and I'm like, hey, do we have any food? And somebody says, yeah, we probably, probably got stuff for now, like 30 people. I said, okay, well, put it aside. And so I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, I get on my phone, I walk out into the balcony of our office, and, and I'm kind of standing there and talking on the phone, and, and all of a sudden, one of our ladies walks below me. She goes, Pastor John, you'll never believe this. This is so cool. Someone just showed up with, like, food for 160 people. So I just put it out buffet style, and I was like, no, 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 go cover it up. Go cover it up. Put it away, you know? So I send her down there, and not only did we have enough to feed that whole team down there, but we still had that other that would feed 30 or 40 here. That's what I'm saying. We are obedient to what Jesus says and watch him provide. Remove the excuse out of the equation and watch the provision of God. He says, bring it here to me. Bring these things to me. Offer me these things. Bring me these things, these fish, this bread. 
You know, I think of it in people too. I wish I would have said it this articulate in the early service. I did not. But I think of it like this. The nearness of God is our good. When they brought those things to Jesus and he touched them, man, it multiplied and provided. When we're brought near Jesus and he touches us, guess what happens? Amazing things. Amazing. We must go to Jesus if we want the healing. We must go to Jesus if we want to satisfy our thirst. We must go to Jesus if we need to satisfy our needs satisfied. We must go to Jesus if we need salvation and hope. We got to go. And sometimes we got to bring someone to Jesus if we care enough about them that their need would be met. They can't see it for themselves just yet. Verse 19. Jesus commands the crowd to sit on the grass. He takes the five loaves, the two fish, looks up to heaven. He blesses it. He breaks the loaves, gave them to the disciples. The disciples began to disperse it to the crowds. In verse 20, says, everyone ate and everyone was satisfied. And this is good news because I want you to hear this, church. Whether it's you giving of your time and your talents or, or your, your finance or, or any of those things that you've been pouring out, I want you to hear this. Um, in Jesus, there is always more than enough. There's so much more than enough. That's why when we talk about giving, you know, two things that, that, that churches always get a bad rap for, talking about giving of finances, but I would even go a step further and say of your time these days. Time is a more precious commodity to most than even their money. But let me tell you something. When we stop hoarding all these things like they belong to us or like they're, they're somehow we're entitled to them and we give those things back to God because he owns all things and he's the giver of all things. He's the father of lights, the giver of every good and perfect gift. When we offer those things back to him, there is always more than enough to meet your need and the needs of many. More than enough. That's why unapologetically we say, hey, listen, we know scripture says when we talk about money, I don't want to twist your arm. You need to give that cheerfully. All I ask is that you would pray about it and just be obedient to God. That's it. We don't even want to preach percentage. We just want to preach participation because we don't want it from you. We want it for you. We want your faith to increase by seeing God take care of your needs and even some of your wants because that's what God does. He doesn't promise you a Mercedes, but he might, just give, he might give you a miracle when you need it. In Jesus, there's always more than enough. When we are willing to give all that we have, we will see that Jesus can provide more than we need. So they pick up the 12 baskets after they fed everyone, and it's full of leftovers. It's full of leftovers. So much so, they had fed 5,000 men. We're not even counting the women and the children. Just a little bread and a little bit of fish. You see what God can do? I'm so humbled. I, I, I want to tell you how overwhelmingly humbled that I've been over the past two weeks walking with you and watching God pour out provision. Only God can take a small little church plant with no building that's been around for 18 months combined with another four or five other little church plants and, and, and create a scenario where over literally just in water alone, over one million pounds of water is moved through a donated warehouse to impact the worst hit places. That's, what, that's just some of the things that God did. I'm so humbled and overwhelmed by watching the church step up in action and live out the gospel the way that you have these past few weeks. Vincent van Gogh said, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. 
And you know what I thought about all the last few weeks? Man, God can do such supernatural, huge, big things through such small churches. When we're yielded, when we say yes and amen, when we say, God, it all belongs to you, when we see people the way he sees people, when we are filled with compassion to the point where we're immediately called to activate and just reach out and begin to try to touch the need and see healing happen. Because we know God and because we found freedom, we stepped into our, the purpose. I mean, we were made for moments just like this. And what a cool thing, what a privilege that together God is using the church collectively, not just declaration, the church collectively. I mean, we are national stories in Texas right now. Media can't figure it out. They're trying to spin it in a negative way, but the rest of the world is looking at this thing going, Texas is leading the way, man. I don't see the hatred that the media talks about. I don't see the racism that the media talks about. All I see is people helping people and people loving people and people taking care of people. That's all I see. Let that be the testimony. Let that be the declaration. That humanity really does care about humanity. And really the ultimate the reason why I, I just believe it is because the church finally led the way and said, you know what? It doesn't matter where you're from and where you're not from. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in or you don't live in. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account or not in your bank account. With the color of your skin. These things don't matter. We see you the way that God sees you. And we're going to do something about it. That's what that is. And how amazing has it been? The impact that we've seen, even if in just a small way, you know, there were many times I'd find myself overwhelmed because no matter how many pallets of water was going out, I was realizing that it was only being able to help a few people. And I had to go back to that. Do you remember the starfish story on the beach? Anybody? Anybody not know what I'm talking about? All the starfish there, and, and this guy's just throwing them in the water. He's picking them up, throwing them, and some guy walks up and says, what do you do? There's no way. There's no way you're going to be able to help all these starfish. There's just millions of them. He goes, no, but I can help this one, and I can help this one, and I can help this one. You know what? That's what we're supposed to do. That's the calling that God has on us, to do everything we can do to just help this one, and then help this one. And every time God shows us another one, we help this one. We helped this one. In the middle of disaster relief, a family just moved here in August. And all of a sudden, they make it through the flood, and they see the fire. They get a date night, leave two kids at home with a nanny, one that's one years old and one that turns three today. And just days ago, they go out on a date. 15 minutes into leaving for the date, the nanny calls frantic and says, the house is on fire. By the time they get home, the house is gone. All they have is the cars that they could salvage and the clothes on their back. Neighbors took them in. And I'm so humbled because we have a church that says, you know what? We're going to worry about the line items that we got to worry about. But at the end of the day, some of those things can go. If we can help this one and if we can help that one and whatever we can do to help this one. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. But in the calling, we got to guard ourselves. This cannot be the commercial for Declaration Church. We will not allow us ourselves to become arrogant and, well, look at what we do. Hey, we are privileged and humbled to be a part of what God has called us to do. These are not things that we could have planned. These are not things that we could have put on a whiteboard and said, well, how can we leverage this crisis? Never the heart. But more so, how can we be the hands and feet of Jesus? 
How can we be the hands and feet of Jesus? And as we move forward, there's so much more to do. I heard this morning, or last night, actually early in the morning, um, someone texted me about a community, Huffman. We'd, we'd actually sent some supplies that way, but there's a church right now that literally is full of supplies. They're getting it out as fast as they can get it, but their people are li- literally living under tarts, tarp, tarps, can I say that, and in tents. Um, same type of scenario, Porter Aransas. I've been talking with this, this college student. He's a college student named Josh, and, and I'll check in with him every other day so far, and there's still people that are literally living in their cars down there. There's still things to be done. Man, let's give it all for the sake of families coming to know God and find freedom. Let's give it all for the sake of people coming to understand their God-given purpose so that they too can join in and make an eternal impact. Let's love our city and our state and our country more than we love our church or our comfort or our convenience. Let's love people in such a way that says, man, we're, we're about building people more than we are about building this church. Let's let God build this church and let's just do the thing that he's called us to do. Is that good? Let's do that. Let's continue to generously give all that we have so that others might live, so that others may see Jesus authenticated in action, so that others may see the wine and not the water. They may see the miracle and not the mess. They may see God's activation and not devastation. we got to keep perspective of what home is. And home is the arms of Jesus. It's the only place where people are truly going to be valued and validated and loved unconditionally. And that we might be a picture of that for them as the church. Can we pray together this morning? Father, thank you, God. We ask, God, that you would allow us to be a church that is so loving and so giving that we see the need and do our best to meet the need. And I know that that can seem overwhelming, Father. There's such need out there. But one step at a time, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. Lord, if there's any spiritual need in the house this morning, I pray, God, that you would speak directly to that heart. Father, I pray for the gift of salvation for somebody today, that they would walk out of here full of hope where they may have walked in hopeless. I pray, God, for someone today that they might walk out of this house and they may feel like that they have been completely seen and heard and loved maybe for the very first time because they realize that you see them and you hear them and you love them, God. Father, move in ways that only you can. Move in ways that only you can. Father, we we so pray for our friends who are still hurting, devastated by the flood. Lord, let, let them be absolutely consumed in a flood of love. We pray. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Church, in the few minutes that we have left, I want to invite you to respond today. And the way that we respond is if you need prayer this morning, we have prayer team that's back here waiting to pray with you. If you need prayer, please go and, and allow them the privilege of praying with you today. Um, if you want to stand and worship, man, we're going to do that. If, if you want to give, that stuff's out there. There's boxes out there. However it is that you want to spend this time in response to the Lord. 
But one of the favorite things that we do together weekly is we come to the table. It's a supernatural time that we get to meet with God one-on-one, heart-to-heart. And Scripture says that when we come to the table, we need to come in humility. We need to come in brokenness. We need to come receptive. We need to come clean. And so I'd, I'd encourage you, take a minute and ask the Lord to maybe point out anything that he might find in you that would grieve you. Ask him for clean hands and a pure heart before you come. Because we don't want to eat or drink wrath upon ourselves. That's a scary, scary word, but that's what the scripture says. And so we come before him clean because we're remembering the great sacrifice. We were broken, Genesis 3, 7. He was whole, but he willingly and obediently allowed himself, his body to be broken so that we could be made whole. And we were were empty. He was full, but he willingly and obediently emptied himself so that we could be filled he spilled his blood to cover our sins and to purchase our freedom and to give us access to God and friendship with God and so that's why we come and we take this cracker that represents the broken body of Christ and we dip it right into this juice that represents the blood of Jesus and we thanks be to God we take we eat and we drink and we declare his death until he returns for us and that's what this is about so this morning be invited to the table let's spend this time with the Lord in response And let's just take just a few minutes with him. And then we'll be dismissed until next week. I'll miss you until then. Father, would you move in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org slash podcast.